Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. Here's my question, and this is week two of this series called Rumble Strip. Here's my question for me, but maybe you'll relate to it, is sometimes I wonder what I would want if I didn't know what you had. And sometimes, let me give you another question for me. Sometimes I wonder what I would save if I didn't know what you spent. Now, one more question. Sometimes I wonder what I would give away to those who have less if I didn't have so much information about those who have more. Like one of the things that is a problem for me, and maybe, maybe this is just me and my confession time in part two, and you won't relate to any of this, is that um, I know too much about what you have. Like in an Instagram world, I know what you're doing all the time. And usually I don't want to know what you're doing, but you want to tell me anyway. But I know what you're doing. I know what you have. I know what you spent. I know what your life looks like. And here's what I know about me. And maybe this is true about you, but that reality or that knowledge can make me dangerously discontent. You know what I'm talking about? South doesn't want to talk. So North, do you know what I'm talking about? Like it makes me dangerous. And here's the thing. We started last week talking about sex. You should have been here. We started talking about sex. The same is true of money. Here's what's true about all of those things is those are appetites. And here's the thing about an appetite. An appetite, whether it's a physical appetite, an appetite for sex, an appetite in terms of possessions and stuff, an appetite is never fully and finally satisfied. Is that right or not? In fact, the more that you feed it, the more that that appetite grows. And the reality is, as it relates to our stuff, it is an internal appetite and it has the ability, your awareness of what is happening all around you has the ability to make me and to make you dangerously discontent where you start to make some decisions and prioritize some things in your life and my life that leads you off the rails. And so this is the whole point of the series. We're talking about rumble strips. How many of you um, are often running into rumble strips on the road? Because you can't drive. I was just waiting for you to lift up your hands. (laughs) Here's what a rumble strip is, in case you were just ever curious. This is a definition for a rumble strip. A system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit territories. Right? So here's the thing about a rumble strip. A rumble strip can't save you. A rumble strip cannot change you. It just reveals that you're a bad driver. It can't change the fact that you're a bad driver, right? Bum, 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 bum. Get on the road. Um, that's what a rumble strip's function is. And here's the other thing about a rumble strip, and I'll re- relate this back, is that a rumble strip is always in the safety zone, but not in the danger zone. You don't put a rumble strip in a ditch. You don't put a rumble strip like three inches from the wall. It's always in the safety zone. So that by the time you start hitting the rumble strip, it's this indication that, hey, you're going too far off to your right and you need to move it on back. And if you keep going, this is gonna end really, really badly. Now here's my point. 
We don't just need rumble strips as it relates to vehicles riding on road. I mean, we do need those. Nicole, my wife, needs those because she's a terrible driver. But that's not the only place we need rumble strips. We, we need rumble strips in regard to life. Like, here's what I guess about you here. If you're at North, here's what I guess about you, is that in a lot of cases, our greatest regrets could have been avoided. And we started to stray into rumble strip territory, but we didn't have any rumble strips set up in our life. And all of a sudden, we kind of realize where we're at after we're already in the ditch, after the relationship already hits the walls, after financially things are already a mess. And so one of the things that you see in scripture, you're not gonna see rumble strip, um, but you need to create a system that allows you to understand where you are headed and the fact that danger is lurking before it is too late. Solomon said it this way um, in Proverbs 27, 12. Solomon, brilliant guy, didn't follow any of his own advice. He said this, the prudent see danger or literally the wise see danger and they take refuge. Like wise people create a system where they see danger before it's too late. Wise people, they bypass right and wrong. They bypass legal and illegal. They bypass what everybody else is doing. And literally wise people go, I don't really care what you're doing because I'm not living your life and I've got my own things and my own struggles. And I don't really care what's right and wrong because you can do things that technically are in the right category, but they're still not leading you to a good place. And so Solomon says, what if you lived your life wise? What if you created a system where you saw danger up ahead and you were willing to be clued in on it before it got to a place where you can't get it back any longer. Like, you know this, there are some decisions, and this isn't about God's grace or God's love, but there's some decisions that, that do, do irreparable damage that you can't get back. And so what, what if you created rumble strips in regard to your life? And the issue I want to talk about today, we talked about sex last week, but I want to talk about the issue of rumble strips as it relates to your stuff, your money, your finances. Now, here's the thing that is so interesting to me is that if you were to talk to our counselors on site or those on our pastoral staff who've done counseling, and I've done a little bit of that. I'm not a really good counselor, but here's what they would say. I don't know what the percentage is, maybe like 85%, but I'm just guessing. 85% of the issues that couples specifically come in with, they generally always center around two things. Sex, money. Sex, money. Sex, money. Sex, money. Sex, money. You got a problem? I'll probably guess your problem before we start talking. Sex or money. It somehow stems to those two. And here's what's so interesting to me is that there is more said in the New Testament about sex and about money than anything else. And they're the two most, um, most ignored teachings in all of the New Testament, sex and money. Now, here's what I'd say. I just want to, if you're at North Campus or you're watching online or radio or you're in the house here at South, here's what I know for some of you. If you're skeptical, you're not sure about the Jesus thing, I get your perceptions. Um, you think that the church is against sex, they don't want you to have sex, and they just want your money, right? Like, that tends to be the common um, perception. Now, so I just want to say this, and you should go back and podcast last week. God created sex, Okay. Let's just amen that, the greatest form. And I hope that wasn't awkward for you, but I'm with you on that, all right? And if you're at the North, I hope we're hearing from you right now. It, sex is amazing. It's a gift of God. Here's what I, I bet that many of you have never heard before, that part of God's will for your life, if he's leading you toward relationship, is great sex. 
He created it. He manufactured it. Read Solomon's writings where he's talking about climbing the palm tree and all the other stuff that I don't really understand. It sounds erotic. You just need to go and listen to it and read it. But he's all about sex. God created it. He created women as multi-orgasmic beings. Satan wasn't off to the side, as I said last week, creating a penis out of clay to throw it into the mix in Genesis to jack up humanity, right? God designed, and I, I'm sorry if you're uncomfortable, I'm not at all, so. <laughs> God designed it, but God owns the patent on it. And he said, listen, I want, I want this for you. It's why I thought this up, but I want, you to, I want you to use it within the confines and in the rhythm of how I've created life to work. I am for sex. And as it relates to your money, Jesus would say, I don't want something from you. I want something for you. You know one of the things that kind of ticks me off, this misunderstanding of the scriptures, probably shouldn't, but it does, is this idea that following Jesus is a suppression of desire. That's actually completely false. You won't find that in the scriptures. To quote John Piper, it's actually Christianity is, is kind of Christian hedonism. It is God creating us a certain way in the Garden of Eden, sin jacking all of that up, and now he is on a mission to redeem and to reconcile us to how he originally created us to work. And so Christianity and following Jesus is not the suppression of desire, it's the transformation of desire. It is, you don't desire the best things, I don't desire the best things, and you have enough track record, both campuses, to know that is true. You don't even have to factor in the God thing. You had desires at previous seasons that you went after only to discover those were really bad desires. And Jesus says, I want to not suppress your desires. I want to transform your desires and return you to the rhythm of how I've created you to work, how I've created life to work. And I want to lead you in to my best for your life. The scripture says it this way, David wrote it. And he said, when you pursue God, my paraphrase, that he will transform the literal translation. He will transform the desires of your heart. I want something for you. And Jesus is like, follow me. And sex, your relationships, how you spend your time, prioritize what you focus on, your money, follow me. Now, here's the thing. What I want to talk about in terms of rumble strip in regard to money, this bypasses like just being debt-free or whatever, and, that, and all that's great, but here's the reality. With what Jesus teaches, and it's why it's so simultaneously uncomfortable and powerful at the same time, is you can do all of the outward financially responsible things and still be off the rails in this area. This is what's so difficult about Jesus' teaching. He's like, hey, um, it's not just about adultery. If you've lusted in your hearts, the same as adultery. And all the guys in the first century are like kicking the dirt and walking away. Like, are you serious? Hey, hey, money, the issue of stuff, it's not just about what you do. It's about what's going on inside of you. And so Jesus talks about this issue and he gets to the heart of it, to the core of it. And it's why it's so uncomfortable, but why it has the power to change your life. Here's what Jesus says. Are you still with me at South? You with me at the North Campus right now? Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24. If you've got a, a Bible and uh, like it's old school like this, that would be awesome. You can see this. If you've got it on your phone, I'd love for you to track with me. Here's what Jesus says. No one can serve two masters. And, and literally the Greek master is, and here's what they understood in the first century. They were literally possessed by people, right? Like they understood this. People owned people. And so the Greek master literally meant you cannot be possessed and you cannot be owned by more than one entity. Like you just can't serve two masters. The, the literal translation is this, one who is in charge by virtue of possession and ownership. 
And you're like, well, I'm not owned by anything. I'm autonomous. I'm, I, I'm independent. And he's like, just hang with me. You can't serve two entities at the same time. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you're going to be, what's the word? Devoted to the one and despise the other. And here's what I find so interesting as Jesus is unpacking this. Like, hey, you cannot be devoted and you cannot serve two entities at one time. And in that culture, like, no, no, we understand that you can only be owned by one thing at one given time. But then Jesus doesn't contrast like, hey, it's God versus Satan. It's God versus, you know, the devil. I don't think that's a huge problem. Maybe it's a big problem for you. Like, oh, do am I gonna worship Jesus or I'm gonna worship Satan? But probably not. And if that is a struggle, I'm glad, I'm glad you're joining us. And I'm a little nervous. This is gonna go Harry Potter halfway through my message, but I'm, I'm glad if that's you. That, but for most of us, that's not the deal. He's going, it, the enemy is much more subtle than that. It's not an issue of that. And he says this, because you cannot serve both God and money. Or literally, you cannot serve both God and your stuff. And what you find as Jesus dives into this teaching is he's not concerned about money. Jesus is concerned about ownership. Jesus is concerned about possession. And so literally the big question he's leading us toward is this, do you own money or does it own you? Do you own possessions and stuff or do they own you? Do you own stuff or does stuff possess you? And this is where Jesus is gonna lead us to go, you need some rumble strips, because here's the reality, that money is the chief and number one competitor for your heart. Not the devil, your stuff is the number one competitor for your heart. And here's the thing, you probably already know this, but you just need to know about money and stuff, is that money never wants to stay money. Money wants to seep into worth, it wants to seep into, if I just get some more stuff, I'm gonna feel valued. It wants to seep into identity, but it always wants to be more than just a possession. And there's nothing wrong with possessing. But Jesus is like, are you really possessing it or is it possessing you? And has, has it become something other than what it actually is? And so he's like, you, you need to consider this because the moment you begin to be skewed on the fact that, that you own stuff and stuff doesn't own you, the moment things start to go off the rails, you begin to ping pong between consumption and hoarding. Consumption is want more, want more, need more, want more, gonna lease it, gonna payments, need more, want more, need more, want. And then hoarding is I'm, I'm fearing that I'm not gonna have more in the future. I'm not gonna be able to consume in the future. I'm not gonna have all that I want in the future. And the root for both of those consumption and hoarding is the same thing, greed. And in fact, greed, this is the best definition I've ever heard around greed, is that greed is the assumption that it's all for my consumption. If it's placed in my hand, it's for me. If I get it, it's for me. If I earn it, it's for me. If I get to that point, it's for me. It is the assumption that everything placed in my hand is for my consumption. And Jesus is basically going, when you live that way, when I live that way, practically you're living as if there is no God. Practically, you're like, consume now, consume now, me now, me now, me now, me now, or hoard, 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 hoard. You might be patted on the back. You may look financially responsible, but you know at your heart level, it's still about consumption. Am I going to have enough to consume later? And Jesus is like, the moment you do that, you're living as a practical atheist, as if there is no God. Solomon says it this way. Solomon, who I already quoted, um, 
he's such an unbelievable case study. He had more women than you're ever going to have. Or if, you know, you're, he had more sex than you're ever going to have, just to include everybody. He made more money than you are ever going to make. He was Home Depot, Weekend Warrior, times a million, beating, basically constructing some of the wonders of the world. The guy threw parties that were epic. Literally, he had everything at his disposal as a case study to go, hey, Solomon, pursue all of this, live as if it's all for your consumption and see how it works out. And he wrote a whole book about it. And basically, the, the book of Ecclesiastes, the main point is just this, and many misunderstand it, but he uses this line over and over again that under the sun, under the sun, under the sun. And what Solomon's saying is, if this is all there is under the sun, to just hook up, to just accumulate more, to just throw another party, to just be safe and to be comfortable and, is, and to live as if I'm all there is and this is all there is. If that's all you ever do under the sun, if that's all there is, it's worthless. It's meaningless. It's depressing because you're constantly chasing another carrot and realizing that what you thought it was gonna do, it's not going to do, and you're living as if there is no God. It's about me now, and it's about me later. And Solomon's like, it doesn't work. And Jesus is like, it doesn't work. And here's the other interesting thing, is that for a lot of us, regardless of kind of where our faith is in this moment, when things start to just fly out of control financially and all the junk hits the fan, what's the first thing a lot of us do? We pray. God, I need you to intervene and do something to my finances and multiply this, and I, just, I need you to get me out of this. And what Jesus is going is like, listen, if you're gonna pray when everything hits the fan and it's out of control and financially it's a disaster and now you start inviting me in, if you're going to maybe do that down the road, why don't you speed that day up and why don't you bring it into today and why don't you begin to do that now? Of, hey, Jesus, I'm not gonna wait until it's all a disaster. I'm inviting you you in right now to possess and be the master of me even as it relates to my stuff. See, the rumble strip against greed, which honestly nobody thinks they're greedy. I've never met a greedy person in my life. You'll admit to all kind of sexual deviation and craziness. I mean, that's, that's kind of addiction. I walked out, things were bad sophomore year, on and on it goes. People will admit anything. They won't admit they're greedy. Nobody's, nobody sees greed in the mirror. But here's what Jesus says, is that you are controlled by your money when you live like this. You live, you consume, you spend, you get what you want, you live how you want, and then you decide to save, usually if it's left over, and then you decide to give if there's a little bit left over at the end of all of that. You live, you save, you give. It's me first, it's me second, it's everybody else third. It's me first, it's me second, it's everybody else third. And, and he's basic throughout the New Testament and going, it, like, you're living as if this is all there is. You're, you're living as if there is no God. And Jesus comes along to go, you, you gotta flip this upside down. And if you want me to be the master of your life, if you want me to control your life, you need to embrace how I see the world. And this isn't all there is. And this isn't all that I'm doing. And there is something much bigger than you and you getting yours. 
In fact, Jesus would, this is my paraphrase, but you see this throughout the New Testament, is that if you want to not be controlled by, but to control your stuff or control your money, it goes like this. Give first, give first. I'm giving away first. It's others first. Save second, live on the rest. Give first, save second, live on the rest. I'm just going to tell you this from a practical standpoint. You don't have to factor in the Jesus thing yet. Nicole and I, just because of how we were raised, we did this from the very beginning of our marriage. It is the greatest marriage decision that we have ever made. Give first, not about me. It's not about me. It is not about us. Save second, live on the rest. And regardless of what you believe, and I'm just going to say this, North Campus and South Campus, if you begin to do this, and this is kind of bold, you will write me a thank you note. If you begin to do this, you'll, you'll be thankful at some point down the road. I got this email recently from a guy by the name of Glenn, and I love this. He said, there was something that you said back months ago, which was you should give 10%, save 10%, live off the rest. He said, I've enacted that this year and have managed to begin putting away enough to put down a down payment on a house next year, yet still reducing my debt by 40%. That teaching has made a big impact on my family's finances. And he said, I love the feeling of having several thousand dollars in the bank, knowing that it's there if I need it and knowing that I am prioritizing others first and me second. I'm telling you, because Jesus is just smart. And he's like, this isn't even like put the other stuff aside for a second that all of this is worship. Just from a practical perspective, Jesus is like, I, I want to do something for you. And my way is just better. I created you. I manufactured all of this. I know what I'm talking about. I own the patent for all of it. So just follow me. And I'm not trying to get something from you. I want something for you. Like here, like here's the example I'd give. I'm already, some of you do this, trying to teach my kids this at some level. And so, the, like my oldest girl is just kind of getting to that place, but where they get some money and I, you know, oh, you're going you're gonna to give a little bit of this and you're going to save a little bit of this and then the rest you can do whatever you want, you know, trying to reinforce that. And here's the idea I thought about this because I think this is like the perception we have of our heavenly father if you're a follower of Jesus or what we think Jesus is trying to do. But do you think I need my little girl's money? I'll just go in at night and I'll take it and I'll blame it on the tooth fairy. Well, it's a recession. She needed her money back. I'm sorry. Like I'll, I'll throw the tooth fairy under the bus every single day. Like if I need her money, I will just go take her money. This is the same reason we don't do Santa. It's not because we have anything against Santa. I'm taking all of the credit on Christmas. Nobody, I did this. I bought this. This is from me. All right. Thank me. Not some overweight dude that's flying around practicing. So anyway, so my point is just this, I was thinking, no, I'll just take their money. Physically, I can take them still for a little while. And I'll just, I'll just take their money and I'll blame it on the tooth fairy. And, and, but here's the reality. I, that's not, I don't need their stuff. I know what happens because I've watched it so many times. I know what happens if they end up growing up and being owned and controlled by their stuff rather than controlling their stuff. I've seen where that leads. And so Jesus is like, I, I want you to follow me into this and make no mistake, this is the key to freedom. Do you know that every time Jesus is inviting you into something that maybe wars against what naturally you would go toward, do you know it's an invitation into freedom? 
Hey, hey, I want you, I want you to, I want you to handle sex the way that I want. No, 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 that's crazy. That, and then you get into this scenario 10 years down the road and you'd give anything back to go back and do it the way you know Jesus would have you to do it because it has been anything but peace giving. It has been anything but freedom giving. It has led you into slavery. And every time Jesus says, hey, sexually, relationally, with your marriage, with your money, this is the key to freedom. And in the area of your stuff, it's the key to freedom because it frees you from living like life is stuff and it frees you from living as if there is no God and here's the thing and you probably know this that when you live that way like this is all there is you are constantly constantly discontent because it is an appetite that grows and it is never fully and finally satisfied and the more that you get the more that you want and Jesus is like, I want to free you from that. And by the way, I think this is 100% of people, North Campus, I think it's probably 100% of South Campus here, but I'm not sure, so I'll just say 99%. 99% of you are going to breathe your last breath, and your time is going to run out before your stuff runs out. You're going to still have stuff in your hands. And you already know that your time is your life. And so Jesus says, why would you live that way? Why would you be controlled by that? Why would you be mastered like that? Why would you allow that to happen? Why would you live your life? Because come on, your stuff is not wrong. You just need to make sure you're in the driver's seat and you're controlling it and it is not controlling you because it is the number one competitor for your heart. And so don't relegate God to 911 emergency God when it goes off the rails and then you invite him in. Invite him in right now to go, listen, I am not going to allow my stuff to compete with my peace. I'm not going to allow my stuff to compete with my kids. I'm not going to allow my stuff to compete with my marriage. And I'm not going to allow my stuff to compete with the destiny that God has given me in my life because I'm so distracted over here that I miss really what he's calling me to in this little bit of breath and this little bit of life. And so Jesus says, it is for freedom that I have set you free. Follow me in this area. And so if you want to get control, this is it. And I cannot stress this enough. And it doesn't even have anything to do with you, you give to a local church. If you don't give it somewhere, I think the local church is at the heart of what God is doing. But even beside that, if you don't believe in the Jesus thing, just start giving stuff away because what Jesus says, it just works. And you'll be more financially responsible. And specifically, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus will do more with the 80% than you will ever do with the 110%. And so he says, give, save, and then live on the rest because no one can serve two masters because either you're going to hate the one and you're going to love the other one or you're going to be devoted to the one and you're going to despise the other because you cannot serve both God and both money. And this is the rumble strip before it's too late and before your heart is too far gone. And then he says this, so do not worry, saying what? What, what, what are we going to eat? First century culture, no refrigerator. It was literally day to day. What are we going to eat? Don't worry. What are we going to eat? What, what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? And Jesus like, when, when you are consumed with worry about the future, you're going to white knuckle everything. And you're going to close off your heart 
and you're going to close off your soul. And then he says, this is so powerful. Maybe you won't think it is, but verse 32. For the pagans run after all these things. Okay, first century, real quick, I just need to catch you up. They had a class system even as it relates to God. So if you were like low income, didn't have a lot, you got like a little JV God. If you were, this is true story. If you were wealthy or higher class, you got like Zeus or whatever. If you're down here, you just get Bob, can barely even grow your crops. He didn't do a whole lot for you. But it was a class system of gods. And here's the thing about the gods in the first century. The gods didn't care for people. Like that wasn't a virtue. That's a whole nother message, whole nother series. Jesus introduced that in terms of a new defining ethic into planet earth. You should study history. But that was not an ethic among the gods. So it was, they were constantly trying to bribe the gods, constantly trying to manipulate the gods, do something to get the gods to do something for them because the gods didn't even care. And what Jesus is saying is you live like there's no God. You live like you have to manipulate Zeus and Jupiter. And yet you have a perfect heavenly father who cares and knows. And yet if you were to look at your life, it is indistinguishable. I can't tell if you follow me or if you follow Zeus. I can't tell if you're devoted to me or if you're another follower of Jupiter. I can't really tell. And so he says, the pagans run after all these things. And yet you're not your jacked up earthly father. I don't know what your background is. Your perfect heavenly father. What's the word? No, come on, more conviction than that. <laughs> heavenly father, I'll give you one more chance. Knows that you need them. And what if you believe that? What if you believe that? What if you believed, not what you say you believe, I'm talking about how we actually live our lives. What if you believe that you had a heavenly father that knows? Be no need to worry about the future. And the reality is the moment that sinks in, and I can't do that for you, but Holy Spirit do this, but the moment that sinks in and moves from your head to your heart, it changes everything. And I'm telling you, you will live your life with the ability to keep your hands open. I've got nothing to fear because I have a heavenly father that knows what I need. And come on, this is the gospel. This is a good news. He knows what I need even before I know I need it. He was going to the cross to take care of your shame and your guilt and the stuff that is three years down the road that you haven't even gotten to yet. And he knew it all on the cross and he was doing what you needed before you even knew that you needed it. I love, I got this um, a few weeks ago um, by a lady by the name of Amanda, a friend of mine who attends our churches. And just out of the blue, she said this, sometimes I have a, a lack of faith with my finances. And she said, strong fear of just losing my job given the industry I'm in and, and one of the top payouts because of my longevity. And she said, I capped out my position last year and I'm no longer getting raises, not even for the cost of living. And being a single mom of three, it can take a toll. But God has been on me about trusting him over this and surrendering every area of my life. And by the way, if you're just beginning the journey to Jesus, this is usually the last thing to go because it's the one that we so aggressively hold on to. And she says this, instead of cutting back on giving, I just increased my regular tithe. And I'm not gonna tell you what she did because it'll intimidate you. She said, I believe God is using CC to build his kingdom and I wanna be a part of it. And then this was the kicker. This is the thing that got me. She said, I want my fear 
to have no say in my worship through generosity. And I want God to prove through me that he will always provide. And then she just ended it by saying, so here goes nothing. And Jesus said it this way in verse 33, but this is the solution. If this is where you've been living and there's no rumble strip, here's the solution. Seek first, reprioritize, rearrange, seek first his kingdom and his, what's the word? Like Jesus' kingdom. Man, this is, the church has got to grab a hold of this. Jesus' kingdom was an other's first kingdom. Jesus touched down to planet earth and said, the game is about to change. And if you want to know whether you really love me, it's going to be determined by how you love other people around you, how you put other people first and you second. And righteousness, really the definition of righteousness was whatever is right for someone else is what is right. I want you to love others the way that I have loved you and I am bringing a new kingdom to planet earth and I get so tired of we're kind of living for heaven one day and we've got this security because of what Christ has done. And I'm telling you, first century, they, they were all about that, but they realized that there was more, that Jesus is ushering in a subversive upside down kingdom and he's not waiting toward heaven when we die. He is bringing the kingdom of heaven to the kingdom of earth to overcome addictions, to lead people into freedom, to lead people to trust Christ, to put others first, to be about the city, to be about others, to be about sacrificing us for the sake of you because that's what Jesus did. So he said, if you wanna get in alignment with me, having control of every area of your life, you seek me first, which means you second and everybody else first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And Jesus is like, if you invite me into this right now, just be warned, it is going to take you to others first because that's at the heart of the message of Jesus. One time Jesus was with his guys, and I say this with all due respect, but these guys were morons sometimes. And I say that like understanding that I'm probably gonna run when I get to heaven because um, they're gonna have words. But there's these moments where like, what are you thinking? And so they were behind Jesus and two of Jesus' disciples are discussing like, I, like, I wanna be great. I wonder if we can get VIP selection to sit at Jesus' right hand and left hand. And I really think of everybody on planet earth among all the generations, we're kind of the greatest. And so Jesus, how can we get in to be the greatest and sit on your right hand and left hand? And Jesus is like, would you guys shut up and sit down? That's the Greek transliteration. But like in Mark 10, 42, Jesus is like, are you guys kidding me? And he, here's, here's what he said. Jesus called them together after this little discussion that was absolutely insane and said, you know that those who regarded as rulers over the Gentiles lorded over to them? And you're like, yeah, we know. That's why we, want, that's why we want to sit on your right hand and your left hand. Like, yeah, that's, that's might makes right. Abuse power, do what we want. That's why you get leverage, get authority, get leadership so you can use it over other people. I mean, that's the whole point. You know how the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. And again, they're like, no, no, we know that. That's why we're discussing this and asking this. We want some more stuff. We want some more leadership. We want some more influence. We, we want some more place in our hands so that we can have the leverage over somebody else. And I think Jesus is like, look at me. Not so with you. Not in my movement not in my ecclesia, not as my followers, not so 
with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you, hey guys, pay attention, eye contact. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. Four, shh, I'm not taking questions right now, Jesus would say, four. Before your questions, let me just tell you something. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus himself, did not come to be served. And if there was anybody worthy to be served and leverage his power and his authority and what he possessed, which was all of humanity, it was Jesus. But even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. And I think he would say, church, listen up, because if you want to follow me, this is what it looks like. And he gave his life a ransom for a whole lot of people. And Jesus is like, this is the way forward. And I think to his guys in that moment, he's like, listen, I'm about to go and do something for the entire world. And then I'm about to ask the entire world to go and do something for one another. And come on, isn't that at the heart of what Jesus has called us to? Even as a church, it's why we are for the city. It's why your comfort is a casualty. It's why we move in the direction of people far from God or people that seem unlovable or people that are on the outskirts sexually, politically, socially. It's why we do anything short of sin to reach people far from God. It's why we give up a seat. It's why we give up time. It's why we give up money. It's why we sacrifice joyfully. It's why we search to tear down every wall that gets people disconnected from Jesus to go, I will do anything so that you can know who I know and know what Jesus is all about because we serve a savior that did not come to be served, but he came to serve. And at the heart of the church is not heated seats in your comfort zone. It is to give our lives away joyfully because we are followers of Jesus. And that mindset changed the world. And that mindset could change the world again. I don't care all the stuff that we get so enamored with. If we just did that as the people of God, as followers of Christ, it would change everything. Change everything potentially in your home. It would change everything in our city. And where I as a leader wanna lead our church toward more than anything else is to not get distracted with all of the stuff we are so enamored with. Just go Give your lives away and God will create awakening beyond what you could even imagine. Listen to me, I know it's uncomfortable, but I'm almost done. Selflessness would solve everything. Selflessness would solve everything. Selflessness. What are you underneath the weight of right now? What can you not get out from under? What can you not free yourself from? Selflessness will solve everything. And so Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And what's right for you is what's right. And all this other stuff is gonna be given to you anyway. That literally no promise of pain-free, problem-free 
But when you prioritize Jesus' kingdom and when you prioritize other people first, when you live in the area of sexuality, the area of your finances or whatever else to go, it is not about me. I'm not first, I'm not second. I'm following the example of Jesus and I'm placing other people first. When you do that, it is a declaration of trust. And I just wanna, and I'm gonna end with this, I just want some of you to get this, is that God, as I've said so many times, he clarifies in the midst of obedience, he never clarifies beforehand. If you wanna know the way forward, if you wanna know how to walk into healing, if you wanna know what God has next for your life, if you wanna know where you're to move next in that relationship or that marriage, you need to invite Jesus in and that happens as you declare trust. And when you declare your trust in your savior, it releases power. It releases power in your marriage, in your sexuality, and it releases power in your finances because it is a personal invitation to the activity of God. But God does not intervene and God does not speak for your consideration. God speaks for your obedience to say, before I go past the rumble strips and off the rails, God, I am inviting you in and I want you to control my life and I want you to be the master of my life. And so here I am. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Would you stand with me all over this house right now? If you're at the North Campus, would you stand with us? If you're on radio and not driving right now, if you're podcasting, Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are good. And Lord, we're gonna proclaim this message as long as we have a voice and a microphone and, and God, what you wanna do in and through this gathering and this movement, but God, you are just better. You are better in every area. You can be trusted and it doesn't matter what the thousand voices are telling us. It doesn't matter the cultural norms. You do not change. You manufactured it all. You are over all history and you are not just looking toward the future. You are already in the future without time and you know what is best for us. You know what the best rhythm is for our life. And we have been created to worship. We have been created to lift our hands to someone outside of ourselves. And so I pray that all over our campuses, those who are listening in different places, that for some of us, this would be the moment. And it's not about our stuff. It's not about our money, but it's about mastery and control. And for some of us, maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time to go, Jesus, I submit and I surrender my life to Jesus. I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna be an apprentice of Jesus. And I wanna give all of my life to him because he went to a cross and he paid my debt and he was doing what I needed before I knew that I needed it. And so I have every reason in the world to trust him. And so I submit and I surrender. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed all over the house, North and South Campus, if there's just a step you need to take around this area to declare your trust and give Jesus control, would you just lift up your hand right now? South Campus, North Campus, we see you. If there's a step I need to take, there's an area I need to submit, I need to trust, get them up for just a second. You don't need to be ashamed. Jesus, with my hand, I'm declaring that I wanna surrender control to you. Come on, come on. Jesus, I thank you for those, even in this moment, both of our campuses where you're moving and working in their hearts as we pray all the time, give them extreme clarity about what you want 
And sometimes it's so easy to get confused and sidetracked and not even know ourselves. Give them clarity about their own heart, about what you're asking them to do, and then God, give them boldness to do it. And I pray that even around this issue of their stuff, their money, their finances, that their trust in you would begin to grow in a way that it hasn't in any other area of their life. And that ultimately, God, and this is my prayer for our gatherings, that you would get our heart, that you would get our heart, that we would surrender our heart to you. And so I pray this in your incredible and powerful name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast capture? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is, we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.